You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. So today is Joining God in His Work, Part 2. I hope you realize that's one of the great privileges in life, right? And so let's turn to our Connect card. If you're guests this morning, I see a few guests. What I like to do is use kind of an outline, have you take notes, fill in the blanks. So I typically start with a blessing, and the blessing this morning is this. Because of Christ's promise and vision in Acts 1-8, remember Acts 1-8? You will be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Uh, Each one of us should join God in his work. And so I believe that's a privilege. I believe Acts 7 and 8 are all about joining God in his work. We profiled a man named Stephen. Do you remember Stephen? Man, a lot of ministry given to him. Acts 6, he became one of the seven servants who brought peace to the church, resolved conflict in the midst of the kingdom coming. Then he preaches the gospel in Jerusalem. Boom. He's stoned to death. In his stoning, what happens? Father, forgive them. Don't hold this sin against them. That's remarkable. He took his cues from Jesus' forgiveness. Then, in like manner, what does Luke do? He gives us one whole chapter about one of the other seven guys. Philip's his name. He's one of the seven servants. So Stephen and Philip, Acts 8. And we saw how he partnered with God. He joined God in his work. This passage, to me, is one of the most remarkable passages in the book of Acts. And please hear me, folks. It might seem like, you know, persecution, stoning Stephen, caught God off guard. It did not. He is on the throne. He sees. He knows what he's doing. And he used the death of one of his saints to do what? Take the salt out of the Jerusalem salt shaker and push it to Samaria. And today we're going to see to the ends of the earth. It's a beautiful picture. And so we're going to look at three more works, and that would be basically a total of seven if you combine part one. So work number five, and I love this point. It's a blessing for all. The Father's work is an inclusive endeavor. And friends, that word inclusive is a very beautiful word. It is a winsome word. It is a word that resonates throughout all of Scripture, especially the book of Acts and Acts 1-8. So, follow along with me, Acts 8, verses 26 through 29, part two of Philip's journey. And so he preaches in Samaria, many come to faith in Christ, and look what happens. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Isn't that cool? When was the last time you had an angel say, hey, Keith, head over to the coffee shop, count me in. I like coffee. The angel literally spoke to this guy. Now, I married an angel, so I get a lot of this. But this, that wasn't in the notes. Ellen just left, left the house. But this is real stuff. This, this ain't hyperbole. This isn't weird. This is how God is working to bring forth this kingdom. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Notice what he says. Get up. Get on mission and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And by the way, there's two of them. And then he gets specific. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, 
a eunuch, a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. And by the way, that's not her name, Candace. This is kind of like Pharaoh. It's like a dynasty. It was the Candace dynasty. So high official in the court of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. This guy had bank, bling, bling. He's, he's loaded, Okay. He had come to do what? To worship in Jerusalem, was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. Notice this. The Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. Friends, this is remarkable because remember, God already by his Spirit thrust the church out of Jerusalem through persecution. Now... Philip's getting direct orders from an angel of the Lord and the Spirit of God to do something remarkable. And here's the remarkable thing, to bless all nations with the gospel. Now, you and I might take that for granted right now. Guess what? For the Jews, this is radical. This is over the top. Are you kidding me? This gospel truly is for all people? It had always been. They forgot it. In fact, they looked at the Gentiles as dogs. They wouldn't even give them the crumbs. And I don't know how they lost their mission. And sometimes, like the nation of Israel, not everybody, but collectively, we, the church, can lose our mission. What is our mission? To preach Christ and him crucified. To be witnesses where Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And friends, this isn't a new mission. This is God's heart from day one. Let me show that to you. It's Genesis 12. If you want to memorize a wonderful passage in Scripture, all the way back to the first book of the Bible, the book of beginnings, Genesis 12. Track with me. The Lord said to Abram, remember, he calls this pagan out of pagan Ur the Chaldees, enemy territory. He calls this pagan man who had no spiritual resume except being an idolater. And he says, go out from your land, your relatives, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who treat you with contempt. And this phrase is the gospel in Genesis 12. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you, and we figure that out as the narrative unfolds, through your seed, Abraham. And that's, of course, pointing to the Messiah. And just like Philip, what happens? So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Folks, the gospel has always been God's heart, to bless all people through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can I encourage you? You've heard this phrase before. We are blessed to be a blessing. Would you say that with me? We are blessed to be a blessing. And that means today. If you go out to lunch, you take a walk through the park, you look for a divine appointment, God shows up, you show up, and we get the privilege to be a blessing in Jesus' name. That's the gospel. And here it is again. Now, what's really interesting is, We studied the whole Gospel of Luke. Now we're going through Luke's second book, the book of Acts. And Luke picks up on this dramatic theme of blessed to be a blessing. Why? God cares. We talked about Jesus who had a heart of compassion. He looks out at people, and they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. They're broken. They're hurting. And what does he do? He runs to him, Luke 15, like a father running to a a stray child who's coming home. This is a church on mission. This is God on mission with 
and through us. And so now, who are we going to? And folks, you gotta connect the dots here. Luke gives dramatic detail to get our attention. Philip, go to a Ethiopian eunuch from where? Africa. Again, the Jewish Jew, the Orthodox Jew, the quote-unquote religious Jew, had no heart to think in terms of going to Africans. There's four strikes, at least, against this eunuch. Let me share with you the four strikes, and you're going to see how God had to wake Philip up through an angel, through the Spirit, and give him such intentional directions. So what's strike number one? He's a Gentile. And again, I know it's hard for us to embrace this because this is a worldview 2,000 years ago. But the worldview of the Jew, and it's sad, not all, but the average, the Gentiles were dogs. And they weren't even worthy of the crumbs off the table. They were looked down upon. But not only was this guy a Gentile, he was a black African. And yes, there were ethnic prejudices then as there is now. That's humanity. That's the sinful heart. Strike number two, guess what? This guy comes from the outermost known world. I'm going to share with you a little later where he came from. But the place is called Cush. Uh, it's called Ethiopia. But when we get the geographical dimensions and put the dots together, it's a long way off into Africa. So a black man comes from the outermost parts of the world, the ends of the earth, Acts 8. You know what he's considered in their mind, in their worldview? A barbarian. So now you're a Gentile. You're way out there as an African black man. You're considered a barbarian. And this is a hard one, guys. Luke says he's a eunuch for a reason. He wants to get technical. You know why? He was sexually altered. I'm not being weird here. He was castrated. Why? He's serving in the royal court, and you can't drift with someone of royalty and then pollute the royal line. So this man is sexually altered. You know what Deuteronomy 23 says? The sexually altered, castrated eunuch is prohibited from worship. How interesting. And then the fourth thing, when you read the literature of that time of day, and you see it in the Gospels, there's a parable. Jesus talks about a, uh, a tax collector and a Pharisee. Remember the prayer of the Pharisee? Oh, Lord, I'm your man. I'm the righteous guy. I thank you that I'm not like this Gentile, this slave, this woman, this barbarian. I thank you that when I'm, I'm one of your chosen people, I'm the man. And then the tax collector is beating his breast, bowing before heaven. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, who went away righteous? Do you realize they got up in the morning, many Jews, and prayed to God, thanking them that you're not like this, you're not like that, you're not like this, but you're a chosen child of God. That's why God has to intervene and say, Philip, go. And he gives them very specific directions. Let me share with you Galatians 3, 28. I've said this before and I'll say it again. This is one of the most radical statements in all the Bible. Most people don't get it because we don't understand how divided the ancient world was. You think our world's divided now? 
red and blue, liberal and conservative, this and that. The ancient world was polarized. There were the haves and the have-nots. You know where the haves were? There was the slave and free. Who would you want to be? A free man. If you were a slave, you were subordinate, you had no rights. There was the male and female from Galatians 3.28. Ladies, I'm sorry to say this, but thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the scriptures. Women were on par with the slaves in the ancient world. They didn't have rights. They were looked down upon. What does the Bible do? What does Jesus do? He elevates women. Women were a part of his entourage. They were in partnership. Read Luke 8. Who's at the tomb? The ladies are the ones to see Christ raised from the grave. The Bible elevates the profile of women, not the ancient world. Then you have the Jew and the Greek, the dogs, and now if you add one more, barbarian. These guys are so far apart. But what does God do? Philip, go south. Angel speaks to him, the desert road. Engage a guy from Ethiopia, black man, Gentile, barbarian, who's sexually altered, who you do not like at all, just like the Samaritans hated. And yet go tell him about Jesus. This is remarkable stuff, guys. And so what's the practical application? Let's go back to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 drives the whole book of Acts. And it always begs us to ask a few questions. You will be my witnesses where? In, tell me, Jerusalem. One of you got it right. You know what Jerusalem is? It's Adel. That's where I live. It's Waukee. That's where you live. Right? It's your immediate community. You know what's really fun this past week? We had the privilege to deploy four Kona trucks to our immediate demographic. Let me show you a few pictures of this. And this is fun. We had about 300 people show up for Kona trucks in four different communities. Now, would you agree with me? Sometimes it's hard to strike up conversations about Jesus. Talk a little bit about the church. It seems kind of weird. People don't want to talk. I promise you this. You park a Kona truck in front of your house, put out shaved ice with 12 varieties of, you know, sugar syrup, <laughs> unlimited. Folks show up, and they did. I asked people to tell me what their experience was. One gentleman says, you know what? I've been in my neighborhood for a year. This was the game changer. I met my neighbors. Jerusalem keeps pushing us to say, who's your neighbor? Are you connected with your neighbor? Do you know their names? Do you know their kids' names? What's their story? Are you praying for them? That happened a lot. One gal sent me an email. It was fun. Uh, there was a lot of people who came, about 80 or 90, and she told me, she says, I had a little girl come up to me, got her cone, and was so happy, and, and then we passed out the welcome card. She says, can I come to this? Oh, of course you can. She goes and gets her brother. Can my brother come to this? Well, of course you can. And here's the deal. She learned later they're foster kids living near our new property. Folks, that's Jerusalem. It doesn't get any better than that. Would you agree? So let's get creative. What can you and I do? How about having a garage sale and just giving it all away? Put the motorcycle out there. 1,200 sports, sir. 1,996, 10,000 miles. Who, who wants it? Man, this, this Keith guy's weird. But something, something to connect with our neighbors. How about a barbecue? 
How about something for the kids, some water thing? Any way to say Jerusalem is for real, ask who's your neighbor. Secondly, what about Judea and Samaria? What does that mean to you and me? Here's what it means. Please capture this. It means moving beyond your typical geography, moving beyond your typical cultural context, your immediate sphere of influence to someone who's a little bit different. There's distance, not only in geography, but in lifestyle. Maybe there's marginalized. Maybe there's Samaritans who's like, man, they're weird. We don't hang out. Maybe there's Africans. Oh, that, I, you know, they're barbarians, whatever. Whatever the distances build the bridge, that's what Jesus is saying in Judea and Samaria. I want to share with you a quick video of a bridge that we've been building for quite some time. You're familiar with the Friendship Center, right? His name's Joe Quick. Uh, we admire this man. Let's take a look at this video. Hi, my name's uh, Joe Quick. I'm the executive director of the Friendship Center here, a uh, uh, faith-based community center to the MLK neighborhood. I just want to introduce you to our new computer lab. We're calling this uh, the John Jakes Family Student Center. Uh, it's going to be used in this community for uh, kids, K-5, who need to do the online schooling. Uh, they can come here, use our Wi-Fi access. That was an issue we ran into last year with kids trying to um, do schoolwork. They just lack of a Wi-Fi access, lack of a parent being home. Uh, so we created this new student center for kids to come, do their online schooling. We're also going to be able to use it for uh, teenagers and adults who need to earn their GED classes. Uh, we're going to open this up to the community uh, for a couple hours each day. They'll be able to come down here, do any kind of computer applications they need uh, with printers and everything else. And uh, we're looking forward uh, to serving the community uh, for many years to come with this new computer lab. We love partnering with Joe Quick and the Friendship Center. They're in the Drake neighborhood. They're reaching a totally unique demographic. Those computers came from the Westbrook property. So if you recall, when we bought the property, we got it all. Computers and the list went on and on. What a cool thing to have them repurpose for the kingdom and glory of God. Folks, that's touching Judea and Samaria. It's just as simple as that. And getting creative. Then the ends of the earth. We're going to see today how this Ethiopian eunuch from the ends of the earth literally got touched with the gospel, took the gospel to his people, and great things happened historically. So let's be about this inclusive gospel, sharing the good news with others. Now, work number six. This gets a little harder. The Father's work is also an exclusive endeavor. Stick with me. You love inclusive, don't you? Come one, come all. That, that sounds great. But when you put the label exclusive, that Christianity is unique and distinct from every other world religion and path, guess what happens? It puts the hair up on some people's back. They get a little bit frustrated and push back. What are some of the pushbacks? We get labeled sometimes, oh, bigoted. Well, you think your, your teaching is better than other teachings? Yours is the only way? 
And so we become haters. And there's frustration because we teach the pure word of God, which says what? Jesus, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Folks, that's not haters. That's not bigoted. That's the true truth. We've covered that a few weeks ago. The true truth of the gospel is there is only one path to the Father. His name is Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Now, I know that's a rub, even maybe for a few of you here this morning. But I promise you this, if you don't believe that, you know what? You'll never invest in your own Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. How can you be deployed overseas or to a people group like Samaria, hated, if you don't embrace they need Jesus and he is God's exclusive way? If you don't believe that, you'll never go anywhere. And neither will I. Well, let me show you that from our passage Track with me. Acts 8, 30 through 35. When Philip ran up to the chariot, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Don't miss this next section, folks. The eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who is this prophet saying this about? Himself or another person? And boy, do I love this. So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about who? What's his name? It's Jesus, folks. It's the exclusive way. He points to Jesus beginning, and notice, key phrase, that scripture. You know what scripture we're talking about? Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53. We're talking about the suffering servant, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He takes them back to the Old Testament. Remember Luke 24? Jesus with the men on Emmaus. Jesus with his disciples. He opens the Bible. He says, Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets speak of me. He preached the gospel to his own disciples. Here's Philip doing that to an Ethiopian eunuch. This is about Jesus, the suffering servant, who gave his life a ransom for many. This is the gospel. He points him to Jesus. Now, why do I say exclusive? Because Jesus becomes the sole focus of this conversation. If you're ever like me and you're feeling like you're in a divine appointment and you start talking about this, that, and the other stuff, right? How's the family and kids? You got to build rapport. What about sports? What do you like to do? What are your hobbies, this, that, and everything? But do we ever get to Jesus? Somehow this guy got to Jesus real quick. Now, again, this is a divine appointment. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But it's a suffering servant. Can I try to recreate what's going on here? This is how my mind thinks. Maybe it'll help you. I want to try to recreate this scene 2,000 years ago, okay? Number one, let's look from the eunuch's perspective. I've already suggested he is a Gentile God-fearer. Why do we know that? He's from the other most parts of the earth. He's not Jewish. He's Ethiopian, a place called Cush. 
He's coming to Jerusalem to worship. So he's a Gentile God-fearer. We've talked about God-fearers in the past, all right? He's coming to Jerusalem to do what? Worship the one true God. Let me show you where he is from. And we know this. This, is, this isn't fanciful. He's a place called Cush. This is southern Egypt 2,000 years ago. Egypt, Cush, that area, they had a lot of relationships. You can read the history, the archaeology. That's not the point. You know what's the point? He lived, as best we can discern, 1,350 miles. He got a chariot. Okay, he doesn't got a Camaro. He doesn't got a Harley. He's got a chariot. 2,700-mile round trip. Today, that's a seven-hour and 20-minute flight. Would you agree with me he's serious about worship? He's serious about discovering the one true God as a Gentile God-fearer? He goes through great lengths to worship, and I complain, oh man, I'm 13 and a half minutes from Adele to, to Waukee. Get a life, Keith. Hop in your chariot and go. He did. Now, you know what's also cool about this guy? Not only the great distance and the pains, he's got the Bible. Where the heck did he get the Bible? And I can't figure it out, although I know he comes from resources, right? He's in the Queen's Treasury. He's probably making bank. Somehow he got a copy of at least the scroll of Isaiah. Let me show you the scroll of Isaiah. This was found in the Qumran Caves. We have a complete scroll of Isaiah going back to two to 300 B.C. There's the passage, Isaiah 52 and 53. He's reading it. Not only is he good with worshiping at the temple in Jerusalem, he's on his way home cracking open a Bible. So next time you take a vacation, you hit the rest stop, hey, honey, want to crack open the Bible? That's what he's doing. There's a devotion. There was an interest in spiritual things. And boy, oh boy, is it beautiful. And then... Here is the most remarkable thing to me in this passage. He's a humble man. He asked this question to Philip. Hey, who's he talking about? I, I don't get this. Is he talking about himself or someone else? And Philip says, well, and he says, I need help knowing the scriptures. How, how will I know unless someone teach me? You know what that means? You and I have the privilege today, right now, to bring the good news to people who don't understand Jesus. October 3rd, we're going to focus on Jesus. Clarity about who Jesus is because there's so lack of clarity today. He opens the Bible, Old Testament prophet written 700 years ago before Christ, and he preaches the gospel. I love this man's humility. I love his teachability. Now, let's look at Philip's perspective. So what does Philip do? Notice he doesn't respond in a good postmodern worldview. You know how the postmodern would, would respond today? What would they say? Well, hey, man, you figure out your truth, I'll figure out mine. Because, you know, there's, there's just many ways to go with this truth thing. There's no such thing as objective truth. In fact, I'd like to say, because we believe in subjective truth, you just kind of figure it out. It'll come to you. The light bulb someday will, will go on. Did Philip say that? Folks, just the opposite. You know what he did? He pointed them to the true truth, Francis Shaver's phrase, and his name is Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. And a friend, again, I want to say to you, yes, the gospel's inclusive, blessed to be a blessing to all people, but it is the narrow way. It is the way, Jesus. It is the truth, Christ. It is one way to the Father, and that is our Savior. Do you believe that? If we do, 
It should usher us to go forth to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Aren't you glad he didn't give a postmodern worldview? You figure it out. No, he pointed them to Jesus. And what a privilege that is. Now, what I find remarkable about what happens here, and because of time, I'm just going to truncate this next passage, but you can read it. So what's the next thing that happens with this gentleman? He asks the question. So he believes in Jesus Christ. He puts his faith in the, the one true God, Jesus Christ, the Savior. The first question, what prevents me from being, what's the key word? Baptized. Where did he get that? How did this Gentile eunuch from the outermost parts, 2,700 miles from Jerusalem, get this idea of baptism? Well, he was in Jerusalem as a worshiper, and he's hearing about this Christian thing. Baptism was a big deal. Remember Acts 2, 38, be baptized. 3,000 were baptisms normative. Next thing you know, he captured this idea. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, you get baptized into the body of Christ. Why baptism? The old is dying, the new is coming. He's identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He's living obedience of faith. This is a genuine conversion. Yes, it's inclusive, the gospel, but it's also exclusive. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved. And the first step of obedience is beautiful believer's baptism. Can I encourage you? As I always try to, baptism is the first step, folks. It's saying yes to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and then it's simple obedience of faith. Testifying of the great work God has done in and through you publicly to others, beginning with your family, your sphere of influence. When I was baptized almost 42 years ago, that's the night my mom came to genuine faith in Christ. It was one of the most memorable nights of my life. She heard my story and said yes to Christ and moved forward with genuine faith. Baptism is a part of it. Obedience of faith. Now finally, work number three. We got to tie it all together here. Or work number seven. The Father's work is a divine endeavor. So stick with me. A few more minutes. Vision proper. We put this out last week. We believe at Westwind Church that God is moving. Do you believe that? Folks, we believe that. And all we have to do is watch, stand in awe. God is moving. So look what happens here. Notice the intentionality of God the Father to accomplish his work. Look at Acts 8.26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Get up, go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Think about it. Get up and go, but then he gives them a geographical dimension. Go south. Go to Gaza, which is on the coast in the Mediterranean in the south. Go using the desert road because there was two options. Boy, oh boy, he had a divine appointment. Would you agree? Notice the next verse. Verse 29, the spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. From what you've heard this morning, why do you think the spirit had to be so deliberate? He would never in a million years go to a barbarian from Africa who was ethnically different, who was sexually altered, 
and share the good news of Christ. He just wouldn't do it. The Spirit had to give the specific marching orders. And then finally, look at Acts 8, 39 through 40. If you don't think God's involved in this, when they came up out of the water, the baptism, the Spirit of the Lord did what? Carried Philip away. <laughs> That's a great translation. You figure it out, I'll leave that one with you. And the eunuch did not see him any longer, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotos, which is on the coast of the Mediterranean, going north. And he was traveling and evangelizing all the towns until he came to where we believe Philip lived, Caesarea, Caesarea Maritime, which is Gentile territory. Very specific, very intentional. God leads. And so what I would like to suggest this morning is this. Philip's on mission. He's listening to the voice of the Spirit, guys. He is sensitive to the Word of God. He's a man of the book. This guy's opening Isaiah 52 and 53, preaches Jesus. He's going from Samaria to uh, Gaza to Azotos to Caesarea Maritime. God, by his Spirit, gave him the spiritual GPS to do ministry. Are we listening to God's voice? Are we looking for divine appointments? God gave Philip a divine appointment that was remarkable. This guy takes the gospel back to what's known as modern-day Sudan today, and the gospel spread. Finally, four thoughts, and we'll wrap it up. These things are written for your example. A few examples, I think, for all of us to follow. Great application points. Number one, Philip listened to the Spirit's voice and obeyed. Jesus said, my sheep... Hear my voice. Let's slow down. Let's be more in tune, sensitive to the Spirit's voice. When he speaks, we listen and obey. Secondly, Philip built relational, and I love this word, bridges. Bridges, guys. He went to Samaria. Hated. He's listening. Now he's down in Gaza with an Ethiopian. Then he's going up to Azotos. Then he's going up to... He became known in Acts 21 as Philip the Evangelist. He's building bridges for the gospel all the time. Wouldn't it be great to just have that as an epitaph? On your tombstone, Joe the Evangelist. He took Jesus and the message of hope wherever he went. Third, Philip was prepared to share the gospel. That's 1 Peter 3.15 always be prepared to give an answer for the reason you have hope. Do it meekly. Do it reverently. That's why we gave you the three circles book over the past few months. And then finally, Philip modeled discipleship by what? Obedience of faith and baptism. But what's neat is the Ethiopian prompted the question. They went down into the waters. Discipleship, baptism, next steps. So can I encourage you to stand with me? We'll close in prayer. As Pastor Jason said, we need help. This is pretty easy stuff compared to what Philip was called to, but I'll tell you, no less important. Jason hit the nail on the head. We want to showcase Jesus, God's glory, at our new West Wind home. And so if you can help, anytime, we're going to be there. I was over there this morning. I walked through. There is a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. But I promise you this. I can see it in my mind's eye. October 3rd, we're going to open. We're going to testify of his glory, his grace, his gospel. And we're going to trust the kingdom come. Thank you for being a big part of that. 
Let's close today in prayer. Father, hallelujah. So we can say this is all of you, Lord. You orchestrated it all. A lamb slain, Jesus Christ, from the foundations of the earth. And then, Father, to invite us to be on mission with and for you. And I pray, Father, as we are privileged to join you in your work, we would say yes as you lead us by your spirit. Thank you, Father, for beautiful stories like this. Thank you for the inclusion and exclusion of the gospel. And I pray in Jesus' name you would lead us, give us those divine appointments to preach Christ and him crucified. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.